0: So I was enjoying a relative moment of peace and quiet last Sunday, and the kids were playing happily in the garden. Uh, I was able to watch the Grand Prix, which was nice, and all was calm in the Gittemal household, but not for long. I was disturbed by my son, Rowan, running back to the house in tears. His face was a picture. I suppose the best way I could describe it was it was squashed. His eyes were closed, his tears you know, streaming down his face. He was, you could just see the disappointment. And you know, a few minutes previously, he'd been playing happily on the trampoline. All the life had been sucked out of him. It didn't take me long to work out what had happened, and it had nothing to do with his sister this time. Um, Roan had managed to kick his ball, his brand-new Champions League football, over the back fence. And we live by the railway line, and so it was in the no-man's land between and this isn't an Edith Nesbit land, so you can't just sort of wander in. And you know, in his mind, the ball was lost forever. It was a tragedy. But fear not, we have a shed, and we own a ladder. And mummy was upstairs. <laughs> so it was time for an adventure. And I've got a few pictures here. You can see our little adventure last Sunday. Um, And it doesn't look very tall, but, you know, it was the top of the shed, and he was very brave, and I was probably the one who was freaking out more. Um, Who likes adventures? Okay, lots of shows of hands, good. Or at least the idea of going on an adventure? You know, the thought of the thrill, the excitement? Um, So I'm married to Ruth, and she tells me that one of the things she used to pray for before she met me was an exciting life. And uh, so we met, we married in the same year that we met, and uh, since then, We've packed in kids, getting a dog, moving house, quite a few new jobs, setting up new businesses, traveling abroad, um, new schools. Every year seems to bring a new set of adventures with all the highs and lows that accompany them. And I've got a couple of pictures just to give you an idea of some things that we've done that were a bit more scary. So this was uh, in New Zealand, uh, and at the time, India was three years old, and it's one of those things where you um, you read about, oh, there's this adventurous thing just off the motorway, and it's New Zealand, so you think, okay, let's do it. And then they don't show you what it's actually like, so we were there, and you can only go in single file, and you've got India, age three, who has to lead the way. Um, So that was another heart moment. And then this was last year, we went to a wedding in South Africa, and uh, I got to play with some lions, which, uh, yeah, was fun. Um, So I picked out a couple of quotes, actually, about adventure. Adventure, with all its requisite danger and wildness, is a deeply spiritual longing. In the heart of every person is a desperate desire for a battle to fight, an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. Now, this is actually every man, but I think every one of us, um, this applies to. You. And then the second one I've got here, which is another men's ministry book I've picked up over the years. I need to issue a warning. Beware. If you decide to follow Christ, there are people who will attempt to slip a harness over your head and a bit in your mouth. They will do everything within their power to bridle the emergence of the wild danger that lurks inside you. Isn't it great? Um, by the way, it's quite funny. I love the Americans. They've got wild at heart and a million mighty men, whereas here we've got Christian Vision for Men and Men's breakfasts. And So I was thinking we need to come up with a name for the barbecue next Saturday. <laughs> Ten years ago, I helped at a youth venue at Spring Harvest, and one of the things I was asked to do was to speak to the young people there about um, calling and work, basically. And I was thinking back to that because I think my main message was something along the lines of, you just have to find something you're passionate about. And everyone lapped it up. Piece of cake. It's really easy, right? Um, And the thing is, it sounds like great advice, but actually, I mean, years later, I'm still trying to figure out what does it actually mean? Um, and I really like, Neil quoted Frederick Buchner last week, uh, who had this quote about, the place God calls you to is the place where your deepest gladness and the world's deepest hunger meet, which again is an amazing quote. But when I take a step back, what does it actually mean? And how do I apply it to my life? And I hope I'm not being too cynical, but I did find it a bit funny that the quote came from a book entitled Wishful Thinking. Um, I recently turned 40, and don't worry, you haven't missed the party because I'm still in denial. Um, but I've worked out I've already had 40 different, or more than 40 different jobs or roles in my life. Um, there's the paid jobs. You know, I was a banker, a consultant, I've done sales, I was an entrepreneur, marketing, etc. Then there's the paid things that you get that, where it's not your job, but you're sort of doing it on the side. So I've had my time as a wedding band man. Um, I'm doing some cricket coaching at the moment. I've done you know, session musician work. Um, but you then have all the unpaid things that you do that really add to your life. And for me, I've helped out at Job Club. I'm a trustee, you know, helping with small groups. But I've also you know, written articles, and I, I did some work um, doing the independent examination of accounts for a charity, which is really cool because you get to see what they're doing under the surface. Um, I've been a chef, um, although I don't do enough cooking at home. Um, and... Uh, and then there's, I was thinking also going back in time to all the entry-level jobs that you do when you're really young, um, when you're starting out. So I started out in the mailroom at, at a business, and you, know, you really were the youngest, least experienced person in the office. Um, I was also stamping checks at a bank. The HSBC in Sutton did that one summer. Um, I was also a barista, which is quite cool. You actually get to learn how to, how to use the machines properly. Um, and then there's the stuff we do, um, personal stuff like being a husband or a father or a son or a daughter. Um, And, you know, we wouldn't necessarily see those as jobs, but it's all part of who we are and what we do. Um, And I think when you put it all together, it gives you a glimpse of who God has made you to be, the different skills, talents, gifts, and interests. Um, But can I say that any one of those things is my true passion or my true calling? And as Ruth was reminding me last night, do we even have one specific calling in our life, or does that change over time? Um, this year, I've been working through the Pete Scazzaro Emotionally Healthy Spirituality Course, um, very slowly, so I'm up to chapter four after about ten weeks, but I'm getting there, um, and there's, um, he, he shares the story of Mother Teresa, and how for a lot of the latter stage of her life, she was really struggling with doubt, and with just trying to figure out her relationship with God, and what it all meant, and... And I found that really humbling because you know, I look at her as someone who's done some or did some amazing, impactful things that changed the lives of millions, and she was struggling with this stuff. Um, so I, th- I think for me it's about how do we deal with the uncertainty and deal with what we don't know, uh, but still try to make a difference along the way. So back to my adventure, I left um, within a year of moving back to London. This is about five years ago. I felt I needed to quit my job uh, because I was just in the in the wrong place, and I didn't really have a clear plan or know exactly what we were stepping into. But there was a real clear sense that it was the right thing to do. And the word, if you like, that God had for me at the time was, "What are you, Rabbi, afraid of?" Um, so this morning, I thought when I was thinking about work, I would focus mainly on, you know, what are our fears and our insecurities, and What have I learned over the last few years about how God can be with us on that journey? Um, So I've picked a passage that I'll just give you an advance warning. It's a little bit tough. Um, I heard it a couple of weeks ago, and it really, really spoke to me. Um, But I'm going to try to take some positive from this, although, yeah, just to give you the free warning. So it's from 1 Chronicles 21. You won't probably just realize it's quite small up there, but if you've got your Bibles or your phones, um, but I'll read it out. So this is David Counts the Fighting Men. Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the troops, Go and count the Israelites from Beersheba to Dan. Then report to me so that I may know how many there are. But Joab replied, May the Lord multiply his troops a hundred times over. My Lord the king, are they not all my Lord's subjects? Why does my Lord want to do this? Why should he bring guilt on Israel? The king's word, however, overruled Joab. So Joab left and went throughout Israel and then came back to Jerusalem. Joab reported the number of fighting men to David. In all Israel, there were 1,100,000 men who could handle a sword, including 470,000 in Judah. But Joab did not include Levi and Benjamin in the numbering because the king's command was repulsive to him. This command was also evil in the sight of God, so he punished Israel. Then David said to God, I have sinned greatly by doing this. Now I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I have done a very foolish thing. So I'm going to stop there. But if you're interested, it's quite cool what then happens. Um, I wasn't sure whether to use this passage because I did actually find it quite overwhelming. But let's take a closer look. So first, we see the role of Satan. And actually, the story appears twice in the Old Testament. Uh, But in this version, we see that David is incited to take a census which sort of reminded me of Satan and Eve in the Garden of Eden and then Satan and Jesus in the wilderness. And we know this isn't the first time that David is dealing with temptation. He's a human. We know that. He's vulnerable. And we might even feel sorry for him given everything he's been through in his life. Um, So why does he feel the need to count his own men? Was it pride? Was it fear? I quite like in the message version um, when he's um, repenting to God, he talks about when he was counting his um, substituting statistics for trust. And that you know, really speaks to me in my life. Um, in fact, if you go back a few chapters in 1 Chronicle 17, David had said to God, I basically, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you somewhere for, you, for your altar. And instead, God basically says, no, 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 you don't need to do that. You're chosen by me. Build, build, basically, build a palace for yourself. Um, and David's response, which is really... It's, it's quite a great, humble verse of praise. He goes, Who am I, Lord God, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And as if this was not enough in your sight, my God, you have spoken about the future of the house of your servant. You, Lord God, have looked on me as though I were the most exalted of men. So just, just I mean, I don't know what the timeline is, but just before he's, if you like, acting out of um, wanting to trust himself we see him praising God. So we see a bit like us. He's quite human. And when I think about it in my life, you can have moments of absolute faith, but then almost minutes later, you're, you're really struggling with um, fear and insecurity. And, and I think that's part of what it means to be human. Um, so who's David? So we saw that, and we know that he's a man after God's heart. He was the youngest of eight brothers. He was relegated to look after the sheep by himself. But we know that even he might have seen the youngest and the littlest. He was chosen by God. Uh, And in 1 Samuel 16, when he was chosen, we read that the spirit of the Lord God came powerfully upon David. He was chosen to become a fighter, a mighty warrior, a king, a ruler. But we also see that he was a worshipper, a poet, a singer, um, and a sinner. And perhaps like many of us, David struggled with his identity. Who am I? Where are we vulnerable? I think the irony is that when he counted his men, he had over a million men, which is a really large army. So, you know, on the one hand, was it pride? I want to see what I've achieved and, um, you know, how much I've managed to build as an army. In which case, it's a little bit like when we try to find security in our possessions, in our status, in our influence, in our bank balance, you know, whatever it happens to be for us. You know, pride says, I am great. Or perhaps it was fear, where he was just, continually insecure and he was seeking security and the protection that he could get from knowing how many troops he had to fight for him rather than God's promises to look after him in the same way we can look to what we have and the security we have in our things and our relationships because what we're really saying and this is fear is saying the world is really great and the world is scary and um, I'm small But whether it's pride or fear, I think in both cases, our attention and our focus is on ourselves or the world, not on God and his power. I think one of the great things in worship, and I was reminded of this this morning, is we sing about how great God is. And it's just that continual reminder to ourselves that we can look to his glory and his sovereignty. And the truth, it's actually that God is great. It's not I am great, it's not the world is great, but God is great. And for many of us, Fear is sort of built into our inner wiring, and scientists have actually done a lot of tests over the years to explore how fear impacts our choices. And um, and in essence, the fear of failure um, drives some of the decisions we make, and actually can lead many of us to not take risks. And God might have an amazing adventure for us, but we our fear holds us back. Uh, Do not be afraid appears so many times in the Bible. And it's actually quite encouraging when you think of so many great examples in the Bible of people who've done some amazing things uh, but were struggling with fear and needed to be reminded, do not be afraid. You have Abraham, Moses, Joshua, Elijah, Daniel, Zechariah, Mary and Joseph, the shepherds, Jarius, the disciples, the women at the tomb, Paul, and even in Revelation we see it. And so I think you know, I'd quite like to be alongside any of those people. So, um, I think, you know, like I say, it's a very human emotion. Um, So, I was thinking back to one of my first jobs. I got in on the Monday morning. It was week two, and the light on my phone was blinking. Voicemails. I didn't quite know how to use the system, so I asked a colleague and logged in, and you have 19 messages. "Hmm, Okay, it's 9 a.m. on a Monday morning. What's going on here? And... You know, the first one was um, uh, from my senior supervisor saying, hey, Ravi, it's 9 o'clock, Saturday morning. Give me a call when you get in. I'm like, okay, that's odd. You know, I work Monday to Friday, and I'd worked really hard, so it was one of these um, investment banking internships, and, you know, the first day I'd joined, I think I left at 8 o'clock, and then it was 9 o'clock, and, you know, by Friday I left at 3 a.m., and people were saying to me, see you tomorrow. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And in my head, I'm thinking, no, no, I'm going to have a weekend. I've got to make it 21st. We've got all these plans, and tomorrow means Monday, right? Uh, well, no, 19 messages later, I was in no doubt that, uh, you know, it started off, give me a call when you're in, through to, oh, I guess you're not working Saturday, that's fine, give me a call tomorrow when you get in, um, through to where are you, to we need to talk. And I think what followed was apologies to countless colleagues all over the globe. Uh, to my misunderstanding that this wasn't a 9-to-5 job. <laughs> but uh, it made me reflect on my time at the bank. And uh, I remember when nine-eleven happened, we were working on this massive pitch, and it was due in on, actually on the 12th of September, and we didn't know whether or not the client was going to still go ahead with the meeting. Uh, and so even in the midst of international... Disaster. We had to evacuate our office because of security, and we're all in a cab heading off to one of the boss's houses to continue working until midnight on this pitch. And um, absolute madness when you think about it. But where does that come from? And um, I put a few pictures up. But you basically, you've got all these different people with different roles. You've got the boss or the client, who you know they want to secure the best deal. You'll then have their um, next level down, who, you know, they've got their presentations. And, you know, again, they want to make themselves look good in front of their bosses. You'll then have people like me without any money and my bosses who, you know, want to, we want to keep our job and look good. And <laughs> you end up sort of banging your head against your desk because the pressure is just relentless. But it's all stemming, actually, out of insecurity. So you end up with panic, stress, anxiety, um, and I'm sure most of us, at some point in our life, have experienced these emotions, and and it's coming out of fear. and And I thought, you know, what are some of the fears that I've had in my career, and particularly in the last season as I've been stepping into new things? And you know, one of them is rejection. So you fear a project um, ending, losing a client, uh, being made redundant, or if I take it in the personal sphere. Um, you know, if you're going to ask someone out, you fear getting told no. Or, um, you know, there's, we don't like being rejected. Um, I had a situation after I quit my job. I landed what I thought was the perfect opportunity. So I'd been working for myself for six months and started working with a business. It was entrepreneurial. It was a startup. It used all the different skills I'd had in a few areas of my life. Um, so I thought, this is, this is amazing, and, and it paid well, and I just thought, I've, I've arrived, I'm back in the game, and I remember within six months of being in that job, being called into office, and I, and I went in to speak to the boss, and I thought I was going in to talk about our strategy for the next three months, and he was coming in to tell me that they didn't need me anymore, and it, it rocks your world. Um, all the plans that you might try to build on, suddenly out the window, um, can also be the fear of failure and, you know, who likes making a mistake or being told off or losing out, whether it's financially or missing out on an opportunity. Um, I remember having, in one of my jobs, I had uh, the inside scoop on who was going to get promoted and what the company was doing, and, uh, and it feels good to have that inside information. And, and I remember speaking to a colleague who, he was a real arrogant kid, and he was convinced he was going to get promoted, and to the point that it really irritates you, but he was also a good friend, and so I was there faced with the tension that I knew what was going to happen, and do I, you know, and he probably knew that I knew, so what do you do? Do you let him down gently? Do you play the party line and say nothing? Uh, And even in those situations, saying nothing can be tricky, and I think about some of the political events this week, and you know, it's incredible. It's incredibly difficult with knowledge, but I probably picked the wrong choice, and that led to some difficult conversations with my bosses. And that's not a pleasant place to be in. Um, I don't know if you're into. So I, I quite like reading advice books, and either there'll be you know business books around how to grow your business and be successful and deliver a better pitch and that sort of thing. But also in the Christian world, you get books that do the same things. So when I was in my 20s, it was all the books about dating and relationships, and now it's, it's more around identity and calling. And there's a, there's a sense sometimes that you can read these books and they give you a lot of information and a lot of ideas, and you can almost live vicariously through the experiences you're reading uh, without having to actually live them yourself. And you know, so we'll talk about things in business like fail fast or try-fail-adjust pivot, being agile, and, you know, these are all great concepts, but actually it's only when you've been in the thick of it and had to make those choices that you discover and you learn, and um, no surprises when I met Ruth, all of those dating books made no difference. I had to ask her out, I had, you know, and, it's, uh, and that means there's the fear that she says no, she didn't, which is good. <laughs> um, there's a third fear that I was thinking about this week, which is comparison, Or we might call it the fear of missing out. And, you know, sometimes I think it can be easier to see God flourish in other people than ourselves. And this can be hard. Um, And I don't know if you've noticed this, but it feels like success is becoming younger and younger. In fact, I think the world's wealthiest YouTube star is is a child um, who just gets to open toys all day. But, um, you know, we even see all of the, the leaders that we might look up to or not. Uh, they're getting younger, and there's is success all around, and I think social media amps it up. And, uh, and I think particularly where we live in London, where there's a lot of people who are um, trying to build their lives and are really focused on their careers and getting to the top of their game, and so you'll meet them, whether it's in your community or at the school gate or in the pub, and it's sometimes the danger is you can look and say, well, what about me? And that can be tough. Um, and if we've got any friends who've made it in life, i when I to say that, that even that word is loaded, but let's say they're a musician and they finally landed their recording deal or they were really into accounting and they've made it to become a senior partner at their firm or um, they're a, a teacher and they've worked through and they're now leading teams um, or they're just being recognized for being great at what they're doing in their job. You can look at it and you can say, well, what about me? You know, I'm working hard. I'm putting an honest day's work in. And, um, and, that, and, that, and that can be difficult because I think we can compare and then that can rob us of our own unique identity. Um, and I think um, what we can end up doing is we can judge our own lives through the lens of others' choices rather than being confident in our own unique parts. Um, I'm just trying to work out whether I was going to put a quote in here. Not yet. Um, I I said I was a barista so I took some time off um, between closing down a business which had been really stressful and I was really close to burnout and we just got married and I I just needed some time and in in that season I had the opportunity to help a friend who was setting up a coffee shop for their local church and I thought this would be cool and give them some advice And, and actually it turned out they needed people so I could go on the barista training and learn how to be a barista. And there was an element that actually that was really fun, and and I could do that. But then I was there serving coffee on the same streets where I would have previously been going into the coffee shop, and so I'd be there wearing my apron while people in their suits were coming in, ready for a day's work. And before you know it, you can suddenly feel like you're different, like it's them and us. And and it really came home one day where I had to go to an interview, so I had to pop to the loose to change into my suit, to go off to my interview. And I felt different just based on what I was wearing. And I thought, there's, there's something wrong about this. And, and I and I'm, don't think it's about how others were perceiving me, but it was about how I was perceiving myself. And almost a lack of confidence in my own sense of self-worth. Um, and I think, for many of us, we want to be effective in our day-to-day living, in our workplaces of work. But we can find ourselves feeling insecure and inadequate, and we're fearing rejection, failure, missing out. Um, and so I was trying to think, well, just based on what I've been through over the last few years, what sort of things am I doing to try to overcome this fear? Um, and you know, basically, what can I share with you? So the, the first thought, if we get the next quote up, was basically around being confident. And what I mean by this is being confident in um, who God has made you to be. And I'm just trying to find... Here we go. So, Christy Wimber's written a really cool book. So I said I like these self-help books, and there's a couple that I'm just going to show you because they've really helped me in the last year. One is Christy Wimber's written a book called Transformed. And I thought... So it says, Challenging Myths About the Power-Filled Life, and I thought I was going to read some great advice on how to do ministry better and pray for people. But actually, most of the book is looking inwards at ourselves and our identity. and um, So really powerful stuff. And then the other one I picked up at NLC this year called Know Your Why, which is Ken Costa, who, uh, he was a banker in the city and has helped uh, do a lot of stuff with Alpha. And again, it says, you know, finding and fulfilling your calling in life, but actually a whole chunk of the book is what is our identity and how, how do we see ourselves. And Christy Wimber says this, who you think you are and why God would want to use you are ongoing questions that the enemy and even well-meaning people will constantly confront you with. I think we need to reframe our work and our identity. Um, And and I think identity, it just feels like a really important message for for where we are right now. Um, And it's not about getting our lives sorted and sort of figuring out identity so we can then go and do great stuff for God. I, I think more fundamentally, it's about the fact that God loves us. There is no, he's not created anyone else like you or I, and no one else can do the things that he has called us to. Um, in Ken Costa's book, he says, who I am before why I am. And I think in the world, a lot of your identity comes from the status you have, what you're achieving, how much you're making, where you live, what you do, what you buy, what car you drive, etc., etc. whereas actually what Jesus is saying is our identity starts with who he has made us to be. And I think that security and from that place then allows us to step into the adventures he has for us. And if, if we remember Jesus being tempted, you know, how did he successfully deal with the devil where David wasn't successful and Eve wasn't successful? And every temptation, he replied, it is written. So he's responding with the truth. And if you look at the things that Satan was offering Jesus, they were things he already had through God his Father. God loves us. God has chosen us. You are enough. And actually the thought came to me this morning that I think God is looking down on every one of us basically saying well done good and faithful servant right now. It's not when you go off and do all those things and when you seek forgiveness for your mistakes and etc cetera, etc. Cetera. I think he's saying I love you and there are no conditions and no strings attached. So be confident, is my first thought. My second one was be generous. Um, And I think generosity is a really good antidote to comparison and to the sort of keeping up with the Joneses. Uh, I read a book by Eugene Peterson earlier this year, and he was looking at the life of Jeremiah. And he said this, he said, God gives, he's lavishly generous. And he basically suggests that giving and generosity is part of the fabric that God has created in the world. And I've just put a quote up from here where he says, some of us are to try desperately to hold on to ourselves, to live for ourselves. We don't think we can live generously because we have never tried. But the sooner we start, the better, for we are going to have to give up our lives finally. And the longer we wait, the less time we have for the soaring and swooping life of grace. Um, he almost compares it with gravity. Uh, and the idea that we were created for others, and so when we fight against that, actually... we we're sort of fighting against the way we were intentionally designed, um, and I joked about Americans earlier. Over the last 30 years, I don't know if you've noticed. There's been, even in this country, a real cultural shift towards you know positive thinking and affirmation, encouraging greater self-confidence, and uh, and that's all great, but actually, there's also a danger that it forces us to we're focused on ourselves uh, rather than looking towards God for our identity. Um, I remember I went to a church that was really big into giving and the whole idea was that one day we would be so generous that we'd be able to give houses away. But you're not going to give a house away if you don't give a car away and you're not going to give a car away if you're not um, giving day to day and buying someone a coffee. Um, So it's kind of cool stuff like that. But I actually had the chance when I was working at the bank to give a car away, which is quite funny because basically... um, A lady had got her promotion and bought herself a a Porsche, as you do, and she needed to learn to drive first. So she got herself an old Fiesta, um, passed the driving test, and then basically didn't need it anymore. So she put the email out on a Friday night saying, does anyone want a free car? And being the sort of entrepreneurial guy that I am, but also a Christian, I, I wanted it. So I said, yeah, I want it, but why don't you raise some money for the, we were doing a donation thing at the time, I can't remember what it was for so I said why don't you do the match funding thing and then, but I kind of did that because I knew it would create a bar which would then mean I'd get it because I was willing to, to give the money away um, <laughs> and, and I got it and and then I thought well I don't really need that car and who could I bless with that car and I ended up putting in practice and what I'd been hearing at church and there was a friend who ran a youth charity over in uh, Western Supermare so it was a good two to three hour drive and they came over to pick up the car so they could use it for the youth work. Uh, And you can picture this, you've got these youth workers who are on no money going and picking up this car which is parked next to the new Porsche Boxster. You know, it was um, just the juxtaposition of worlds. But they got the car uh, were really, really excited about how they were going to use it and then on Sunday night uh, I got a call from him and basically what had happened was a lady had come in to their service that evening and was in a difficult place in life, but one of the things that had happened was her car had completely broken down, and that was gonna be a major issue. And so they had to have a debate as a team, and in the end, generosity won out, and they said, well look, you know, two days ago we didn't have this car, so they gave the car away. Um, And I just, it was just cool, because it was this thing of holding on lightly to what we have. And we don't know how God is going to use the different things he's given us, whether it's gifts, time, money, you know, any of those things. But actually, if we try to cling on to it, then it can't be used. Um, And I think when I find myself getting caught up in situations, and particularly when I start fearing how God is going to provide for me, and I can feel that fear, a bit like maybe with David's, needing to count what do I have, and uh, actually a great way to shift the focus is to think about others and and to give away. Um, And I find as I hold on to less, then I create more room for God, and and it's just a funny way his kingdom economy works. Um, The third one, I was thinking, how many times have you been in a position where you wanted to quit, or you thought, you know, I just need to give up? Or the grass is going to be greener if I take that other job or move to that other situation. Or those moments where we've had more than we can handle, whether it's from our co-workers or a family member or a friend or a lover. You know, I think, I remember one evening before we moved back to London, and I'd had a really difficult day at work, and I just sort of was mapping out my next 10 years, and I just felt stuck, and I just felt well, you know, I'll keep doing this job and that will pay for those bills and then I'll keep doing that job. And it was just, uh, there's just that hopelessness of feeling stuck. And, and for a moment I felt trapped. But there was also a sense that actually we always have a choice. Um, I have a choice, you have a choice. And what I needed in that moment was the right lens to make the choice. And so I've put as my third point, be patient. Um, Christy Wimber again talks about If we force a door open, we then have to keep it open. And eventually it leads to exhaustion. However, grace in calling always leads to freedom. Um, I remember working with, I was working with the management team at uh, a big accounting firm. And so what happens there is it's a partnership. And so you effectively own a little sliver of the business. And this guy, who'd been there since he was a trainee, we finished a meeting and he was in a bad mood, so he just starts mouthing off and basically telling me everything he doesn't like about the business, about his colleagues, about how we do stuff, and blah, blah, And how do you respond to that? Everyone else was the problem. And, and I really think I had a moment of God insight in that, in that particular situation because it, it was just a bit too simple what I said, but just right. And I basically said to him, well, why are you still here? which then led to a conversation about all the good things he's getting from being part of this partnership, and 25 years of lots of memories and happy experiences, and there's nowhere else that he would want to be. And, and I think, yeah, we, we have that choice. And, and sometimes we are part of something that's bigger than ourselves as individuals. It doesn't make it an easy choice, um, and I think in terms of trying to do things with our own timing, you know, we can look to create our calling in the wrong place. And it's, it's, we're being driven out of insecurity. So rather than waiting for God to open the right doors and to, um, to point us to the things he wants to point us to, we sort of get impatient and we feel we need to act out of, out of our own strength. And um, I've been doing the Bible in a year um, with David Suchet, which is quite cool. And I sort of listened to him in the gym and uh, came across this verse in Hosea chapter 10 where God is basically talking against his people where effectively what they've done is they've depended on their own strength and on their own. So he says, because you have depended on your own strength and your many warriors. And it really got me thinking, you know, are we acting out of security or insecurity? Do we make our choices out of faith or fear? are we trusting in God, or are we trusting in our own abilities? Um, and you may be familiar with the imagery of God as the potter and us as the clay, which is in the Old and the New Testament. And and I do feel that there's something in that of, you know, just letting God mold our lives and our situations. And it's, it's really difficult. Um, John Wright has talked about calling and the idea of striving. And I'm not saying this is right for every situation, but sometimes if we are finding ourselves just continually striving, asking ourselves the question, is this really our calling, or are we trying to pursue something that was meant for someone else? Um, and it's, it's a difficult question. So throughout my 40 plus jobs, I've identified one consistent theme over the years, and for me, actually that's been worship. Um, and it's been the things I've done not in my job, but just through being part of church and um, lots of different types of churches. Um, and Alan Scott talks about taking the kingdom out um, and how can we basically bring God's kingdom into our day-to-day lives. And, you know, should there be a difference whether I'm here on stage playing keys or working in a business? And what does it look like to be an authentic Christian in the workplace? Um, and I was, I was working with a client earlier this year, and we were doing a workshop with their, um, their whole... So it was a manufacturer who... They basically spray paint panels. Um, so quite a mucky job and um, a whole mix of people from all walks of life in the, in the middle of the Midlands. And we got them together to think about the future, and they spent a lot of time criticizing each other, and identifying all the things that were wrong in the business and what needed to be fixed. And, and in that moment, I could just feel a real negative atmosphere. And a thought came to mind. And again, I think it was God-inspired. And, okay, fine, it linked to some, if you like, work philosophies around being positive and feedback and praise and all that. But the point is, in the moment, I just felt I needed to get them to reframe their situation and start to think about what would it look like if we complimented each other? If we, Because actually what had happened over the two, three days is we were discovering that there were lots of pockets of good activities, but they just weren't talking about them. Um, and so I asked this kind of open question about that, and immediately there was a shift as the penny dropped, and, and then this lady sort of piped up and said, yeah, we never, we never say well done, we never, we never thank each other, and, and, it, and immediately you had this shift. And I think, you know, for me, that was an example of kingdom in action in a work situation. Um, some of you might have been there when Roger Bretherton was speaking. Uh, so he's a clinical psychologist and he's done a whole bunch of work about positivity and you know, the science behind it. But you know, looking at things like gratitude um, and being prophetic in the workplace just by maybe spotting something good that someone's done or being encouraging and Uh, you know often when we pray for people here at church we're just calling out the things that we see God is doing in their life and what's visible to us but there's nothing to stop us doing that in the day to day it doesn't need to be eyes closed and music in the background it can just be being encouraging and Ruth gave me an example this week where she was doing a book club with the girls at school I think it was at the book club and she just got them writing down some kind words for each other and okay we six, seven, eight-year-olds, you get some interesting responses. (laughs) But the point is uh, it's just, you know, bringing a bit of encouragement and life into day-to-day situations. Um, And what do we do, you know, when a friend or a colleague starts to gossip about someone or to speak negatively? Are we the ones who choose to bring life and light um, or not? And I was reminded of a passage from Matthew um, where Jesus says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And in the message version, it talks about God colors, you know, being the God colors in the world. and um, Yeah, so... I, we got, I, I was reflecting on, on this, and I'm going to do something a bit weird in a moment, um, which, um, but you, I hope you, you'll get it. Um, <laughs> if it fails, never mind. But uh, I think sometimes we're too serious. And I was watching, looking around as we were all singing I Love You, Lord, and, which is a lovely song. And we're saying things like, Oh, my soul, rejoice. And pretty much almost everyone in the room is like, oh, that's all rejoice. And it's, you know, I think we're called to bring joy to the workplace. And and by that, I mean every single type of workplace. Um, and I just, <laughs> I just felt that, um, so <laughs> this is a bit that's weird. Ruth and I were on a camping holiday last summer. And one of the things that we did was a night a dinner in the woods, which was amazing. So we were in the stars in the middle of the woods. And, and I can't remember where this came from or why it started, but this, this idea of just spontaneous laughter. Um, <laughs> and and I, I actually surprised everyone because I think, how long was it for, 30 seconds uh, or more, but just started laughing. But it was, it was just a bit of fun with some beers. But the point is, actually, uh, there is something amazing in laughing. Uh, and so I thought maybe, I may, so this might be a God thing or it might not, but I just thought I should just start laughing and <laughs> see whether, uh, what it does. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> 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 anyway um, <laughs> the, <laughs> the, 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 point, the point is I think we take ourselves too seriously we really do and yeah I just feel God wants us to to lighten up um, so I think Ruth's going to come and help me uh, <laughs> we're going to move into some time of ministry and if we get the band back up as well but yeah, so my, my four things were be confident. Remember who God has called us to be. Be generous. Let's think about others. Let's be patient. And let's be the light. Let's be those God colors. And um, oh, I'm gonna forget this a bit. Yeah, I think there were, there were a couple of areas that I thought God might be speaking to people today. One was uh, where we're really carrying a lot of insecurities and fears, and we just need to be willing to give those to God. And then secondly... When we talk about the word "adventure," I think some of us maybe feel that our moment has passed, and it could be through a whole host of reasons. Uh, and we, you know, have we written ourselves off? And you know I really feel for every one of us here, God still has some adventures for us, um, if we'll let him yeah, if we'll follow him in them.